0: Some of the scriptures I've got up on the board behind me, or up on the screen behind me, and so you'll um, be able to read those as I uh, up in front as I read-along, and you've got them on your sermon notes as well. And this is Labor Day weekend, so this is a time where we have people all over the place uh, that are traveling. There's a, a big crew of our church here is up at the Yellowstone Bible Camp Labor Day retreat, helping that succeed and and serving and being a blessing for others up there. And so, when we get past this weekend, what happens is people tend to wander back, settle into our routines for this next year. And so, in the next weeks, we'll start through a sermon series um, the, um, uh, that we'll use to, to lead into to the uh, later fall. And uh, next week, what I'm going to do is, is share a lesson that has been bouncing around in my head for a while about w- what are we here for? What's our purpose? And to, to help give us and remind us of the foundation of, of why we're here. Now, why are we serving as Christians? Why have, do we follow God? And what does that mean for us right now? And so today, before we get into some of that um, in the next weeks, what I wanted to talk about uh, is I was thinking about this weekend, Labor Day. And how many of you know some of the background of Labor Day? It was a holiday that was designed specifically so we could travel and take take vacation. Not exactly. It was a celebration. Uh, it's originally started as a celebration for laws that were passed in our country that enabled and empowered people to be able to work in a fair environment. That's the idea. And so we take this uh, holiday every year, and it is also the opening weekend of archery season, which is very important for some people. It is uh, the Yellowstone Bible Camp um, end of the season hurrah kind of thing. There's a lot of things that happen during Labor Day, but it always seems to be a time that we tend to be happy because summer's finishing up. And if you're tired of summer, then you know that fall is just around the corner. And if you are, uh, usually it's a little bit cooler weather than uh, the heat of summer. That's not so much this year. It's just been hot through the last months. But it's usually just a great time uh, this this weekend. And so I got to thinking about working and what is working all about and why has God called us to work and all that. And I went through and I looked at some scriptures that I want to share with you that I I found helpful and encouraging this week. And we go all the way back to Genesis 15 when God created mankind. Before there was sin in the world, this is something God said. Or something from the Genesis account of God's instructions. It said the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to sit around and do nothing. So what it says there? To work it and take care of it. So this is before sin came into the world, like I said, but this is the original purpose of mankind. He is placed in this garden, placed in this beautiful place, in order to care for it, to keep it beautiful, to whatever that means. I don't know what that would look like exactly, um, if there's no thorns and all that kind of stuff but he's to work this garden and make it something amazing and wonderful. And that is one of the first things that God tasked mankind with, is to take care of the creation that he's made for us. Well, it doesn't take long, probably, for sin to enter the world. The serpent convinces both Adam and Eve to eat of this forbidden fruit. And this is what God says to man specifically, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Great. This tells us that before this happened, it was probably a whole lot easier to grow things than it is now. And there weren't all sorts of other things like thorns and thistles and other plants that we had to fight. Can you imagine what a world would look like in our world without napweed? You know, there's napweed all over the place and it seems that we're constantly having to fight it back. And I remember a few years ago there was a guy, a friend of a friend in Great Falls, had told one of his friends in the church, he said, I'm going to get to the point where there's no weeds in my garden (laughs) And my buddy laughed and laughed and laughed. He said, hey, that is a promise from God that you're going to always wrestle with that. You're never going to get to a place where everything is pristine and wonderful because there's all sorts of because. It's part of our, uh, the fall of mankind. But there's something about thorns and thistles and all those things in life that keep us from becoming too proud and help us continually looking for God because we need him in this life. But again, what God says is that mankind, your job is that you're going to work. That's something that's a very important part of your life. In uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, the the writer shares and something that I think is very helpful. Now, the writer is possibly Solomon, probably Solomon, maybe not. But it's it doesn't uh, tell us specifically. But what, it is someone who has experimented with all sorts of different things in life, experimented with wealth, experimented with. Uh, building giant houses, experimented with huge parties, with uh, immorality, all that sort of thing, and has come to the conclusion that none of that has ever made me truly happy. It's an amazing book to read. And one of the things that is mentioned here, it says, "'What do workers gain from their toil?' "'I have seen the burden God has laid on on the human race. "'He has made everything beautiful in its time. "'He has also set eternity in the human heart.'" Yet no one can fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, God's plan and how he works is way beyond our imagination and understanding. But there's something that he's placed deep within us to long for something beyond this life. He's placed eternity in the hearts of mankind. We're always looking for something beyond just what's right here. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, This is the gift of God. Now, when I read that, there's part of me that thinks, now, what on earth is the gift? Where's the gift there? I'm missing that. But when we understand what this writer is saying, he's saying, I have gone through and I've tried every different sort of thing. I have tried, basically, what he says is I was a trust fund baby. I didn't have to do anything I didn't want to do. I pursued everything that I wanted to. Nothing that my eyes desired did I deny myself. And I pursued every bit of that, and I found myself completely empty. And maybe one of the greatest gifts that God has given mankind is to find joy in the work that they have right before them. And we can miss that very easily because we're looking at this or that or whatever, but think about the work that God has given you, whether it be your job or the things that you um, you do in the church or, or whatever. If you're a, a stay-at-home mom, that's a valuable, amazing, important work. Whatever you have the opportunity to do right now or tomorrow, or if you have tomorrow off on Tuesday, look at it and say, I can find tremendous joy in this Right here, right now. And that, according to the writer, is a gift of God that the trust fund babies and others out can't quite get their grasps on. It says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. There is something good about working that keeps us grounded in reality and has the opportunity to connect us to God. That's his point there. So look at be thankful for it here 's some things that I think are are necessary parameters to set up to say okay here 's okay but but this is important to note here when we talk about uh, working um, in general now first of all, rest is necessary in exodus chapter thirty four verse twenty one and you can go back and read that what the what is shared there from God is you will work six days and then you will rest the seventh day, whether it is the time of harvest or is the time of plowing. So in other words, even when it is, there's a lot to do and it's extremely busy and you look at and you think, man, it's going to rain several days and I better just work today, even though it's the Sabbath, I, I'm going to work anyway just so that I can get caught up. He says, no, no, no. Even during the busy times, you're to take times of rest. I've told the story about my grandfather when he became a Christian in Texas that he shut the farm down every Sunday and told his workers, go home, enjoy your families, go to church, whatever, but you're not going to come to work. And within a few years, God had blessed him so that he was receiving award after award after award for what was happening in on his farm. I know Jim Phelps from Great Falls Uh, one of the servants in the church there, he shared with me, after I told that story, he said, man, my dad and I, when we had our hay farm, whenever we decided that we were going to work on Sunday, something would break and we wouldn't catch up until Thursday. And it was like clockwork. That always happened. And his point was, is that there's something valuable. God knows what he's talking about here. Even in the, the busiest seasons of life, take those times to put God first and spend time resting with family and with God, uh, laziness is not okay. Uh, proverbs thirteen four, and there's many, many more proverbs that talk about this. That if we if we sit around and we're not willing to to put effort into things, then it's just not going to go well for us. First Timothy five eight says, "If you won't provide for your family, then you're worse than an infidel." That for Christians, that should provide a lot of conviction for us. That that's you know, we have a responsibility to provide for our families. Proverbs 13, or chapter 16, verse 3, I want to read this one. Proverbs 16, verse 3, it says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So there's a way where we can go about life and say, hey, I've got this strategy, I've got everything figured out, I know this is what I'm going to do, and it never seems to work out for us. But when we stop and say, God, will you guide my paths? Will you bless my work? Will whatever, I just want to be doing the right thing. Can you guide me in good directions? then God has a tendency to answer those prayers and provide, provide direction for us in our work. Um, there is a Proverbs 14, verse uh, 23. I want to read this as well. Proverbs 14, 23 it says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. All right. There is an entire industry out there, massive, massive industry, to teach people how to make money. What's interesting about it is that a ton of those people that teach people how to make money have never made money themselves until they started teaching people how to make money. That's it. I've met some of them. They've told me that directly. I never made money until I did this. (laughs) Well, okay. And so there's oftentimes the people that have done very, very well in business and such are the ones that don't talk about it a lot. They just do it. And so look for those people if there's things to learn But it's better to get our hands dirty and get after it than talk, 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 talk. That's what the Proverbs tell us. And also, here's one that for Americans, this is very difficult for us to swallow. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21 tells us that financial independence is not the end game. There's Many of us can walk through life in our world. Let's go ahead there. I want to read this, uh, Luke chapter 12. We can walk through life talking about, hey, someday... I'm going to hold down these jobs or do whatever I need to do so that someday I can do whatever I want. I can be completely financially independent and such like that. But there's something that is that is sinister in that that we need to be very cautious about. Verse 13, uh, Luke chapter 12, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the, the inheritance with me. In other words, Jesus, I want you to get in here and I want you to fix our problems. And Jesus replied, Man, Who appointed me judge or an arbitrator between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do you hear what he said there? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Jesus is looking out for us. He's telling us if you spend your life just accumulating, 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 uh, you're not going to have much of a life. Verse 16, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. So he could have just stored what he had, which was an abundance, and said, I'm going to help other people get started. I'm going to help other people because there's somebody around me that's going to be hungry, and I can bless people with my abundance. He says, no, I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to keep this. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, are you person of moral deficiency? This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Boy, that's convicting for us all to think about there. But what he tells us is that financial independence is not the end game, and we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But living right now and honoring God right now is what God calls us to do. Here's a couple of passages from the New Testament that I want to look over. Uh, this is from Colossians chapter 17, or chapter three, seventeen, and then verses twenty-three to twenty-five says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So think about that. What does it look like, the contrast between someone who is saying, well, I have to do this, complain, 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 I have to do that, complain, 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 what does that look like to the people around us compared to someone who says, "Hey, whatever I can do right now, whatever is placed in my lap, whatever God has given me the opportunity and ability to do, I'm going to do it in the name of the God, in, in the name of God, and I'm going to take God with me in my attitude, whatever I'm called to do, or as he says, Further down a few verses, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. God doesn't care where we come from, what our pedigree is, all of that. What he's sharing here is saying, what's very important is that you work when you work You do it as God is standing right there, and whatever it is you may be doing, you're doing that as an offering to God specifically. Have you ever thought of the work you do around the house, whether it be mowing the lawn, whether it be trimming your apple trees, whether it be doing dishes, as a worship and service to God? Think about it. If you've not thought, that's what he tells us it is is whatever we're doing, we can take God with us and, and say, hey, this is something that is valuable that I'm doing, that is a spiritual activity that I am offering up to God. That helps us find purpose in the menial tasks. You see what Ecclesiastes is telling us? The person that was a trust fund baby that said, some of the greatest thing you can do is work hard, and God is given you this as a gift. Beautiful. You see how God has created us in his image that way. Let's look at another verse here. This is in John chapter 6. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So this is right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. There's people that are following him around. And you can imagine that. If someone is giving out free food, do people show up? Yes, they do. And so Jesus gave out some free food. People show up. They're pretty excited about this. And he said, you're you're not even following me because of the sign, the miracle itself. You're here because I gave you something to eat. You're here for the free food. I know what's going on here. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so you can imagine people's ears perking up here and thinking, wait a minute, what's this all about? What's this food that, that... i can work for that for eternal life and they ask him what must we do to do the works god requires and i think this is one of those questions kind of like naaman in the old testament where he comes and visits elisha because he has leprosy and he says "What, what do i do and elisha says well go and dip in the jordan river seven times forget that there's cleaner rivers back home i'm out and his servant says no wait a minute if He would have asked you to do something great and honorable. You would have done it, but you won't humble yourself with something like this. And so Naaman finally does, and he comes up, and his skin is is clean. And so they're ramping up here, these people. All right, what do we do to do the work God requires? We're ready. Let's do this. Let's do this. We're going to show you we're not just here for the free lunch. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And if you continue reading through this section, they said, "Well, what signs are you going to provide for us?" And the discussion gets more and more heated as, as it goes along. But for our purposes right here, I want us to think about this: the greatest work that we can do in this life is to believe in the one He has sent, to believe in Jesus, to walk by faith, and say, "God, I know that whatever you want, all these different things that I can do in life." The most important things I'm going to do are the things that I do for you. And that starts with believing in your name. And everything else is details from there. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. How many of you are crafty, artsy type people? Good for you guys. I'll learn from you. I'll let you make stuff, right? I can make a few things. I made a coffee table made out of bridge planks for the uh, the auction up at Yellowstone Bible Camp this week. And you can tell who's a real craftsman and who's not because people who are not real craftsmen say that's beautiful, Chris. It looks amazing, and it really doesn't. But it's okay. It's all right. You know, it's it's all right. I'm o- I'm okay. You know, I'm. I, there's people. There's people that do beautiful work, artwork. I can put a few pieces of wood together and stain it. You know. But think about this. God has created each one of you, each one of us, as a work of art to do good works. That's what we're placed on this earth for. You are a work of art in order to do good works. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, there's a lot of things that we can do in life that is vain. We can make bad investments to where we lose all our money, and that's vain. We can put our efforts into all sorts of things that are not going to last for eternity. But Paul reminds them here, and God tells us, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, working for God, doing things in God's kingdom, helping in the church, being a blessing in those ways, because that's something that your work is never in vain for. Think about that and let that soak in just a bit. The things that we do that we're doing for God, that's never pointless. Paul's reminding the Christians of that here. So I want to spend a few minutes as we finish up here. Um, This is some of this. I got this idea of talking from with Steve Bachmeyer last week. We had uh, coffee together and we talked about a lot of wide-ranging things, and it was just uh, I always enjoy time with Steve because he is the uh, um, owner of the Ace Hardware here in town, and, and so he trains a lot of people in leadership, and we always end up talking about leadership stuff and, and that sort of thing from a spiritual perspective, and um, it's just a great blessing. And he was talking about someone that he had, uh, someone had talked with him about doing a class on how to play the fourth quarter well in life. And I thought, what a good thing... To focus on and think about and we were, we were talking about that and I, I started looking and reading some here um, as a result of that conversation this last week and I, I, what was evident is we can divide our lives, if our life expectancy in the U.S. is around 80 years old, we can divide our lives easily into four quarters. Now there's, if you get online and you read, there's people divide up the quarters of life in all sorts of different ways. But we, or the phases of life in all sorts of different ways, but I'm all about simple, okay? So there's football season starting up. Bobcats won last night, right? There's how many quarters in a football game? There's four, and all of them have some purpose to them. So I'm going to use that as an analogy to talk about uh, the four quarters of life that we have. And I'm going to talk about the summary of what that, that time of life is, some dangers and some things to focus on in those areas of life, and, and uh, specifically regarding our work. So first of all, we have the first quarter, and we're just going to say zero to 20 years. There's a lot that happens in that first quarter. We go from, you know, seven-pound baby to someone who is um, launching from home at that point in time and go through all of these, these different phases. But this is the phase of life that provides the foundation for everything that happens next. I've been watching a a bunch of soccer lately. There's uh, several kids in the church that are playing for Belgrade High uh, right now. And so it's I've really, really enjoyed that time. And it is uh, something I've noticed um, in my years of coaching soccer and just watching is that when we, in one of the boys' teams here uh, just the other day, experienced this, is they let a team score three goals immediately within the first few minutes. And then they played tough the rest of the, the match. But because they were down 0-3 to three to start with, it was pretty tough to fill that gap and to catch up, if you will. And so when the first 20 years of life matter a lot because if we make decisions in those 20 years um, that, that are good and God-honoring, it l- lays a foundation for us to launch into really good stuff. If we lay a foundation made of bad decisions continually and a heart that is not devoted to God, what happens is, God, it it makes things tougher. I've never met anybody who has uh, laid a poor foundation the first 20 years of life that does not go back and say, I wish I had grown up with a Christian family that taught me things from early on, right? Now, God uses all of us, no matter where we come from, no matter what our situation is. So what I don't want you to leave here today is this guilt. Oh, I blew my first 20 years and I'm playing catch-up. Okay, that's not a perfect analogy because with God's kingdom, when we come into his kingdom, our sins are washed away and he redeems that zero to three start. He takes all of it and he changes it and all that, okay? And so it's not a perfect analogy. But if you're sitting here and you're in the first quarter of life and you're zero to 20 years, Here's what I tell what I tell you. Take that time very seriously. Learn from people around you that are God honoring people and imitate that sort of thing. The greatest um, the greatest thing that I've noticed about people who do the first 20 years well is there's all sorts of factors that um, that come into play. I've noticed that some of the the best on the outside teenagers do not always make the greatest adults. Because we can fake things for a while. But what I've noticed is those kids that will decide, and here it is, here it is. Those kids that will develop a habit and decide for themselves that God's word is important enough that I will read it every day because it's going to change my life. And they do that day in, day out. Those are kids oftentimes that launch into adulthood and do really well spiritually because they've made a decision to make God a daily part of their life and allow Him to speak to them. That's the thing that I would recommend more than anything else. The Ecclesiastes talks about it is, remember your Creator in the days of your youth because when you're old, everything changes, but start with that, start young, and it makes a huge difference. Uh, The second quarter, uh, going into the second quarter, so ages 21 to 40, we'll say... There's a lot of things that happen in that life, in that phase in life. And in quarter one, we oftentimes think that we're busy. And we realize when we get to quarter two that we have no idea what busy is about at all. And we get into the second quarter of life. All of a sudden, we end up having bills to pay. We have families to feed oftentimes. And boy, life is different. And here's the danger, is that we can get distracted with all the stuff that our spiritual life just goes on autopilot and everything else takes precedence. We focus on this, we focus on that, we focus on chasing the kids around in all sorts of different ways. And somewhere, without us realizing it, our spiritual, you know, God goes from here and he goes way down somewhere. Something I've noticed with people in this phase is a great transition they have to make that is very important. Because when we're in quarter one in the church, the church does all sorts of things to say, hey... Let's do this. Let's have devotionals. Let's have youth relics. Let's do all this sort of thing. And when you get to the second quarter, a person has to make a transition to say, wait a minute, it's not all about me anymore. It's my job to serve. It's my job to transition. It's my job to be a blessing like so many others were to me before. And that's my game plan, and I've got to make that transition. If we don't, then what happens is we get into our 20s and we say, Well, this isn't fun anymore. I'm out because not everybody is looking out for me. You know, I you think about um, um, I'm 46 right now and there's people that call and check in on me and such like that, like they do for you. But in the phase of life that I'm in, I don't have people holding my hand. That just doesn't work that way anymore. And so when we go into second quarter, we've got to be able to make that transition. And here's some things that I would recommend focusing on, focusing on working well pursuing God and His people, find something in the church that you can do to serve in, make the church community an important part of your life, the the center, and surround yourself with godly people that can help you raise your family. And more more is caught than is taught. That's some of the greatest parenting advice that I've ever been given, in that more than anything I can ever say to my children or teach my children... What they need from me is to be who I'm supposed to be, and they watch it. And really good stuff can happen in those phases. Uh, quarter number three, and this is me, um, so I can speak from experience. Some, t- Well, no, I can't. Not very much. I can speak from, I'm right in the middle of it right now, that kind of thing. But I found that it's, it's much easier for me to speak on first and second quarter because I've been there, and I'll, I'll wrestle through a few things on third quarter, and then... Um, I'm not going to say anything about fourth quarter. No, I'll, I'll say a few things of it. So here's some things. As far as our world goes, oftentimes we look at these years of being the peak years. We go from, from changing diapers to kids launching into the world. And uh, let me say something. We find out right now uh, during this time, uh, because it's very important for us to, to realize why God gives us children. Our children are given to us not to be ours, not to fulfill all of, Of our desires and to make us happy, but our kids are given to us so that we can launch them to be soldiers into God's kingdom. That's the purpose of children—to be their own people, to be out there serving God and and honoring Him. And we really get into trouble when um, you know there's there's books and books and volumes written about this as parents, if we tie our own our own personal happiness to to what our kids are doing it. Time. That's a bigger discussion. If we launch our kids to be soldiers of God, um, that's the healthy place to be. So the peak years, third quarter, peak years, we launch our families, oftentimes become empty nesters during this time. Here's the danger, is that just like in our 40s to 60s, it's really much more difficult to change our jobs. How many of you have gone through a big career change at this phase in life? (laughs) Some of you have, okay, yeah, it's not easy. I understand it's not easy at all. You know, I think about if God called me to something else and I, I stopped serving in, in, as a preaching minister, then that would be that would a major upheaval for my family, for myself, and trying to think through what that looks like because I'm in an age where it's not so easy to go back to school and, to, and there's, I'm trying to feed my family and, and can't just call time out and stop, you know. Well, the same thing happens with us spiritually during that time. During these times, it can be very, very difficult to make spiritual decisions that require a life change. Be very conscious of that because what the temptation is is to get in this place in life where we just do the same things over and over and over again and, and ultimately we don't make the changes that we need to when we see them come because it's going to upset the fruit basket if we can say it that way. However, here's some things that I would focus on. Focus on leading well. Focus on continuing to mature spiritually. Do not get stuck in the ruts. Refuse to get stuck in the ruts and say, no, I'm going to continue to go deep with God. I'm going to, in my job that I may be at the height of my earning powers at this point in time, I'm not going to let that be something that controls me. I'm going to control that and I'm going to continue to pursue God. I'm going to see the job that I do is, the job that I'm blessed with to be able to serve God with, and um, I'm just going to continue to go deep with him, and I'm going to continue to um, transition from me being the one that is always mentored to I start looking to mentor other people. There was something that I, I joked around with the Great Falls crew with, and to a large extent, this is a joke, but to a large extent it is true, because people would... would uh, enlist in the Air Force when they were 18, 19 and that, and they would retire 20 years later. Do the math. Retiring at 38, 40, 42, with a half a pension, and they make a transition to do something else. And my joke was, is that people retire in the military just about the time that people actually start taking you seriously in ministry. And there's a lot of truth to that. as when I was in my 20s and early 30s, I mentored people, and I had a had influence and such like that but you just don't have enough life behind you in order to be the influence that that, that god will call you to later it changes and this is a time the third quarter where we can have a whole lot of influence in life if we've been patiently pursuing god all the way through and so lean into that and use this time to to be a blessing to others now the fourth quarter and this is as steve and i were just chatting about this the other day Here's some things. This is, in summary, oftentimes there, there can be um, a great mess or great blessings. And as we approach the, the last years of life, we can be led by all sorts of fear of, oh no, what's going to happen next, all of that. Or we can have the perspective of, hey, I'm just that much closer to heaven than all the rest of you, and I'm going to have a ball here. <laughs> and uh, here's some dangers is that when physical retirement happens, where financial independence does come, if it comes, if we go back to, oh, I'm going to do what this guy in the parable did. I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to just serve self. Instead, God gives us that time of financial independence to look around and say, what can I do to be a blessing for God and His people, and go out with a bang, whatever that looks like. I'm going to keep my hands to the plow, working for God, however many years He may give me. There's a book that I read here a while back by a guy who wrote. Uh, he wrote. He does a lot of blogging and, and online stuff about minimalism. And I hate him. No, I'm kidding. I'm just messing around. So he talks about how not having all sorts of stuff is, is not, having all sorts of stuff does not make you happy. It's, it's the same stuff that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes talks about. And he talks about it from a minimalist perspective. But he's got a chapter in his book that I got the kick, I got a kick out of the title of the chapter. And the title of the chapter is The Beach Gets Boring. And his point was, is that if you get to a point of financial independence and you think, I'm going to live on the beach and I'm just going to hang out, after about a week you're going to be bored to death and you're going to be looking for something else because God's created us to do something. And so if you're in this fourth quarter from 60 to 80 and beyond, then you have a unique gift and a unique place right now to say, I have maybe more flexibility than I've had before, but I can continue to serve and mentor and when things come in life that are painful and hurtful, I am dedicated to suffering well, and I'm just going to go out with people around me that are younger generation saying, I can see how being an older Christian can be such a wonderful thing because look at their faith. Look at this. It's beautiful. And it's amazing. And that's something that if you're over 60, you can a gift that you can give to the rest of us. It's not... Uh, it's not by accident that a lot of people who do a lot of the heavy lifting in the church as far as mowing the lawns and taking care of the building, all that kind of stuff, are in this age group because there's more flexible, flexibility in this time. And so if that's your, your time, this is, uh, there's some ways that you can serve to be a blessing. And what I want all of us to see here is that whatever quarter we're at in life, what Scripture tells us is God has called us to find contentment in believing in Jesus and living our lives out of that and working in his kingdom. And whatever we get paid for and supported for, to see that as a great gift of God that we can do, no matter how menial it may be in the eyes of people, that is a worship and honor thing that we can do for God. And hopefully that gives all of us a place to, to reflect as we launch into September. That Labor Day helps us to remember that whatever work God has given it's a great thing, and it's a blessing from him. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders will be back there ready to talk with you. Let's stand and sing together.